Hello, this is Dave Greenshields. I'm the director of R&D at Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, and today I'm talking to Dr. Chris Willenberg, who's an associate professor in the Department of Plant Sciences at the University of Saskatchewan. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dave. So today we're going to talk about uh, a long-standing collaboration between Saskatchewan Pulse Growers and uh, Chris's group on uh, a weeds research program. So maybe to start off, if you could just kind of give us an overview of, of what the program looks like. So what are the main goals and how long has it been running for, that sort of thing? Sure. The, the program itself has been uh, running nearly 10 years now. It, it actually predates me to an agreement with uh, my predecessor, Rick Holm. Um, I took over for Rick shortly after he left and, and saw the program objectives at that time through the first five years. We then renegotiated uh, this about three years ago now with uh, the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, and um, it's a it's a large program, and the ideas behind it are also large, but they're also long term. So my goal was to try to start working on long term objectives that would improve um, pulse production for growers with respect to weed control over my career. Um, so the objectives as they are. Uh, are really threefold. The, the first is that we continue to work towards discovering and, and working with potentially new products to Western Canada that, that could continue to improve pulse production, as well as improve what I call the judicious use of herbicides, and that is um, trying to reduce herbicide use where possible. The second thing is to integrate solutions. Um, so part of that is to better marry herbicides with agronomic principles, again towards uh, lowering our herbicide footprint, but also towards improving efficacy and reducing selection pressure. So still achieving really high weed control and pulses uh, to the best level possible, wherever we can, but also um, trying to minimize uh, the footprint and, and the selection, the rapid selection in some cases for resistant weeds. And, and the third one is to look to new places for weed control. Uh, and in particular, what we're looking at is seed predators. And, and the idea itself isn't new, but it's the, the goal of that work is tr to try to help growers establish habitats that would favor seed predators. And, and the idea there goes back to something called weed seed bank management. And so this is kind of all weaved into this five-year grant that I'm hoping uh, will continue long into the future. Okay, and, and so when you talk about seed predators then, is it like mostly insects or are there, you know, are mammals that eat seeds or is it, is it uh, what are specific seed predators? That's a great question. There are a number of different seed predators uh, in the agroecosystem. So insects, we know, are, are the majority of uh, the seed predators, at least from the invertebrate standpoint. 
The other big one that we would have in Saskatchewan would be earthworms as well. We think consume weed seeds. We know in other jurisdictions they do. We have no reason to believe they don't here. Uh, other major seed predators would be rodents, voles, uh, things like that. And then, and then birds also will consume a lot of weed seeds. Uh, now, most of these weed seeds are going to be consumed on the soil surface. However, there is some consumption just below the soil surface as well. How, how has the program changed over the course? Like you say, you know, it's been, what, nine years over, I guess, it's a 10-year program and we're in year nine or something like that. So since the beginning, what has what the evolution of the program looked like? Well, I've gotten older and uh, lost a lot of hair, but not just over the not just over the program. Originally, I think uh, a lot of what Rick had proposed at looking at was herbicides, and 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 the, that some reason for that because at the time we were just on the cusp of having potential new group 14s and 15s, and so Rick were, Rick's work really focused a lot on that at the correct time. So one of the things that's happened since that time, though, is we've seen a lack of new products being introduced, and we've also seen a fairly rapid evolution of resistance. And so we've kind of made the shift. That, that, that evolution with the second iteration of this grant really came from the fact that we had done a lot of the discovery that we felt was out there. We know industry is still working on other solutions and we're still engaging them in that in that conversation and, and probably will be picking up more on that work. But we also knew that we needed to go to other, other avenues. And, and so exploring the integrated methodologies was really part of that evolution. The other thing was we also knew that the herbicide solutions may not be as good as growers have previously had. And, and when I say that, I mean there may be slightly lower crop tolerance than they're used to. And so one of the ways to compensate for that, again, is to look to um, agronomic solutions to try to mitigate competition, but also to try to minimize the amount of, of crop damage that we might see from some of these products. Okay, so when you're talking about, you know, integrated agronomic solutions, specifically around weed control, what, you know, what are some of the other options that you're looking at? Then? The majority of what we look at so far has been sort of combining uh, different agronomic practices. So things like seeding rate and row spacing, and, and we have one uh, project within this portfolio where we're looking at rotation, and not just any rotation, we're looking at what, what happens when you combine a couple of different winter crops in a rotation, and you try to set your pulse crop up as the crop that needs the weed management. Yeah. So um, we're looking at combining things like that. We're also looking at trying to, in some cases, um, prioritize pre-emergence products. And, and that goes back to a thesis of viewing post-emergent weed control as sort of the goalie in the hockey game. That's sort of your last line of defense instead of your first. Um, and so we're looking at different combinations of pre-products um, together, but in addition with um, optimal agronomy, we have we have actually have one trial where we're 
trying not to apply a pre-harvest. And, and my theory always was if we could, or, or sorry, a post-harvest, my theory is that if we are able to get to a point in a pulse crop where we don't have to apply a post-emergence and still get acceptable weed control and, and, and good yield, yeah. I think that's moving the science a long way and, and going a long way for what growers are looking for in an economic pulse production program. Okay, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I know a lot of growers think of herbicide tolerance as kind of the holy grail for weed control. Um, but if you talk to people, you know, growing group two resistant mustard with their lentils, then, you know, it, it doesn't always stand up uh, the test of time. That's, that's a challenge for pulse crops. And, and are we seeing a change in, in the types of resistance or are new weeds becoming resistant? Um, you know, where, where do you see that going in the future? It's a good question. Uh, it, it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B. Less so in Saskatchewan. In Saskatchewan, we still continue to see mostly the evolution of group two resistant weeds. So those are um, weeds resistant to things like imazethapir, Pursuit, um, usually in the pulse crop, but, but also in other crops as well. Um, we have not yet seen the evolution in a large way of group 14s, which right now are a major group of products that I think uh, underpin good pulse production right now. That's the one that does have me worried. And in the US, they fought group two resistance with glyphosate and then developed glyphosate resistance. And shortly after that, switched to group 14s. 14s and, and develop group 14 resistance and now they're on group 27 and they're starting to see resistance to that too. So we're kind of on that same track and, and it worries me most in the pulse crops because we depend very heavily on group 14s. Mm -hmm. To your earlier comment about herbicide resistance traits, they are without a doubt the holy grail when it comes to um, production systems. But they're a bit of a double-edged sword. So I mean, for a grower, in the time that that grower is using it, it is the holy grail. And, and I always try to tell my students, when you think about what your grandfathers went through, where they spent their summers roguing wild mustard out of wheat crops, to now having something that you could apply within an hour or two on a quarter section and, and free up your life. I mean, the, the evolution of herbicides was great, but now imagine something that doesn't harm your crop, really is easy to metabolize by the crop and controls all weeds virtually the cheapest in the cheapest manner possible. That's the power of uh, any type of, of herbicide resistance trait in a crop. The double-edged sword comes from the fact that most of these herbicides to which you engineer tolerance also have very high selection pressure. So that means that they're at a much more elevated risk of selecting for resistant weeds. We know that will happen. It's always just a question of how long. And that how long is usually a factor of two things. The herbicide itself, which the grower can't control. So some enzymes are, are just what we call more plastic. So they're, they're more um, amendable, easier to select for resistance. Mm -hmm. But the one thing the grower can control is selection pressure. And 
And the more you apply these products, the quicker that we tend to see resistance evolve. So that's sort of the double-edged sword when it comes to resistance traits. And that, that's kind of why the stress on, you know, rotating the different groups and, and making sure that you're using a variety of different uh, control methods. Um, so we've touched on, on, well, we've touched on group two resistant uh, wild mustard. What other weeds are the, are the biggest challenge uh, for pulse crops? You know, I, I think there's a number. I, I like to separate it sort of between north and south. I think when you drive south, definitely you're going to see the wild mustard intercrop. Um, that's pretty common. And, and I think in the south as well, they're really struggling with kochia. Um, those are the two that we're focusing most on in the program and, and that I think um, growers would be struggling with. In the north, where you're seeing a bit more pea and faba bean, uh, usually it's cleavers. Um, that are starting to become a major challenge. And part of that, again, is due to group two resistance. Um, the other two that, that I think are, are a challenge are wild oat continues to remain sort of our number one weed. Uh, even in pulse systems, we, we see a lot of group one and two resistant wild oat. And then narrow leaved hawksbeard is sort of gaining a foothold. And you do see that in, in numerous crops, but I think it's a little bit more um, obvious in the pulse crops because they're a little bit shorter. Um, to that end, there is some uh, resistant south thistle that you'll also see. And of course, um, regardless of where you are in the province, if you're growing a pulse crop, you're probably likely to, to struggle with Canada thistle and, and perennials like that. So, Okay. And, and so in, then in your research program, have you changed that? Has that changed over time? So are you focusing on, on kind of these emerging threats or, you know, you were talking about uh, wild oats being a constant problem. So that one stays, right? But are there, are you evolving the research to match the weeds? Yeah, in the second uh, phase of, of this program, we are, the first phase was a little bit more um, of a shotgun approach in that we were just looking for new products that would take care of, of a lot of weeds that could be used. In, in this particular phase, what we are doing is trying to tailor the projects within the portfolio towards those weeds. So we've got some projects where we're looking specifically at kochia, others where we're looking at cleavers. We're doing some herbicide work right now um, with the company where uh, a couple of my undergraduate students are actually looking at, well, what's the impact of this on cleavers? Um, and wild oat, as you mentioned, kind of stands as a surrogate in, in a lot of our, our projects. Um, the seed predation work is focused on kochia and volunteer canola, wild mustard, two of the big ones that, that we do struggle with. So, so we are, we're trying to tailor as much as we can to both the emerging weed threats and also um, this second generation has taken a bit more focus on the new pulse crops. So we're focusing a bit more on, on soybean and faba bean than we did in the first phase as well, um, simply because there's a lot of excitement and, and the uptake on, on faba bean and soybean uh, was large. Soybean cut back a bit now, but mm -hmm. we see a future in, in those two and, and we just don't know a lot about weed control in those two crops yet compared to lentil and pea, for example. Okay, for, for soybeans specifically, as they kind of, I guess, march north and, and west, are we seeing new weeds come in with that production system or, or is it the same old, uh, same old weeds? 
You know, I don't think we have seen enough soybeans yet to see a shift attributable to that. Anytime you grow a different crop, you will start to see weed shifts. Um, Soybeans a good example. In in the U.S., um, when they started growing glyphosate-resistant soybean and corn, their weed populations were very quickly dominated by something nobody had seen before. It was called tropical spiderwort. And it wasn't resistant. It just happened to do very well and have a slightly higher tolerance to glyphosate. So I don't think we've seen a rapid shift yet here in Saskatchewan. We haven't been growing them long enough or on this scale. But what I do worry about is some of the uh, resistant weeds in the U.S. um, that are resistant to glyphosate, your water hemps, your amaraths. I worry about those coming north. Um, They're not necessarily a function of the soybean, but they are associated because of their resistance with that glyphosate-resistant soybean. So those are two of the things that we need to, I think, keep an eye on um, as we, we do start growing soybean in Saskatchewan. So I guess finally the you know the this weed program your research program has has kind of created or been the backbone for um, SPG's uh, involvement in 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 weed control and and looking for new uh, herbicides for registration and and a lot of our agronomic demonstration work um, and you know it's been it was about two million dollars over five the past five years or this five year period and i'm assuming that we'll continue to collaborate into the future over another five-year period so what you know what do you see on the horizon you know if we go past the end of this term into the next one how would you shift it again you know you talked about the evolution over the first 10 years how would what do the next 10 years look like there's a couple things that that come to mind. So um, the first of those on the herbicide side, having some discussions with some of the companies, I think there is potential for some uh, some different products within the Pulse portfolio that I may be able to work with in another iteration. Um, looking not just at efficacy, but different ways to utilize these products and weed spectrums, places where maybe they're not registered pursuing minor uses, things like that. I think that's always something that we look for. We're also making the shift now um, and sort of using the Pulse program as as an example to switch to seed bank management. Um, And I think that there's still a lot of untapped potential here to figure out how we move growers uh, and get ideas from growers on where to start managing those those weeds as opposed to focusing the, on the in crop. I think there's potential um, on, on that side of things. Uh, crop rotation is something, again, we, we're struggled to set up rotations without long-term funding. That's always one of the major challenges. If we know we have long-term funding in place, we can try and, and look for um, either rotational or, or sequence or 
systems-based studies that further optimize um, weed control for growers. So I think that's something as well that that we can look at um, in 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 a different phase should it exist. I don't. I won't say there's a major change in thinking from what we're doing, mm -hmm. um, because I do believe that, that the goals as outlined are really long-term goals for pulse growers, but what I would welcome is um, grower ideas on things that uh, may be issues in a third iteration that, that we haven't uh, addressed in this one. Um, because I find a lot of the, the good ideas or, or when, I, when I'm in the field and I'm showing growers, while this didn't work, they'll often have an experience with it that can lend itself to a research idea that we can look at. So um, I think, you know, those are kind of the three or four things that I would see sort of as we evolve and, and sit down and think about what the next five to ten years could look like. Now that's within the context of my capabilities. Collaboratively, um, we are part of uh, sort of a Western initiative on kosher and other things where there's folks with a lot of genetics experience and, and some robotics experience and, and things like that that we may be able to um, participate in as well uh, because weed science over the next five or ten years probably will change in that regard. Yeah. Well, I know I said finally before, but since you brought up robotics, maybe you could touch on like, are, you know, are there new weed control methods on the horizon outside of like we talked about seed predation and we talked about herbicides, obviously, but but what else is out there? There are a few different ideas. Uh, locally, um, many of you will recognize Kevin Hirsch. Kevin is part of a company where they're trying to um, use steam to control weeds. So they essentially have, I believe it's a, a PTO generator driven behind a tractor that, that uses that electricity to create heat for steam to steam weeds. And also as a, as a I think their goal as well is to get that as a pre-harvest so that you could sort of iron press your crop and, <laughs> and uh, as a substitute for glyphosate, right? And I mean, that's something you and I haven't talked about yet, but of course, you know, with the pressure on glyphosate, there may be changes to uh, use patterns that we need to consider over over the coming five to 10 years as well. So Kevin's working on, on that. Um, there are groups and, and European groups in particular working on robotics. I still don't think we're at a place where we have a robot or series of robots ready to be sort of released, but the technology there is rapidly evolving. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at Agritechnica this year, John Deere, I think, unveiled a drone that was capable of spraying it, has a small spray boom behind it. Maybe it wasn't John Deere, but I think it was. Um, so there is potential as well as these drones become capable of heavier payloads and have the ability to pull a small boom um, and we can spot spray of, of using that type of a technology in the future. Will our future ever involve a place where we don't spray herbicides or think about agronomics um, and it's solely based on technology? 
I'm not sure that that's in my career, yeah. but certainly down the road, I mean, I, I think the, the goal of a robotics program wherein a producer has to spend a small amount of time on weed control that is environmentally sustainable yet cost effective would be the goal of, of any weed science program. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. And uh, yeah, big thanks to, to Chris for coming in and, and talking about his program. Thanks, Dave. It's my pleasure. And I just would like to thank uh, SPG as well as the growers for giving us the opportunity to continue working with you guys in this fashion. It's been a, a great learning tool for me. One thing we didn't mention, several students funded on the project as well, which are a real success. And I think we've, we've made a difference in, in the impact of growers. So thanks again. And I look forward to keep working with you.